let's, uh, let me pray before we go further. I've got two messages in my mind, and I don't know which one to share with you. Um, I think it was earlier on, Pat said to me, um, if the Lord puts something on your heart, feel free to do that. And I was fine until you said that. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll, we'll launch in compassion, and then we'll look at God's word together. Father, I thank you for your incredible love for us. The depth, the height, the width, the length. I love the, that your servant Paul says, beyond knowing. And yet somehow we can know something of that love. And I pray, Father, as we, as we journey this bit of the service together, as we think about compassion and um, your people here and what they're doing and others that want, will join in today. Father, we don't want to just do good things. We want there to be heart and substance and a, a, a deep why behind why we are what, what we are and how we live this Christian life. So, Father, would you stir us? Pray that, that for every person here, we would all walk out those doors different to how we came in because we've encountered you. So, Father, you're welcome. Please speak. Please nudge. Please stir us. Shake us. Um, do what you need to do in us that we would leave this place more like your son than when we came in. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Firstly, um, can I say thank you? Um, the phones were buzzing, actually. So a year ago, we launched a partnership with Compassion with you guys. And um, we did a few of those during COVID. So that was when we were locked down and um, uh, couldn't meet together. And I remember sitting in the office back over there somewhere with Pat on two stalls, having no idea how this was going to go. And I think we ended up around 25, 26 children got sponsored from that. A lot of my colleagues had zero children sponsored from an online. And so um, the phone was getting hot saying, why? What happened? What did you do? How did you do it? What did you say? You know, all those kind of things. So I wanted to, firstly, just to say thank you for responding, where a lot of churches have found it incredibly difficult to respond and to get enga engaging with compassion from a, a digital perspective rather than face-to-face. -face. So I'm excited about today for, one, to be able to say thank you, and two, if you do 26 children online, what happens when we're face-to-face? -face? So um, um, I was up in... It's only ever happened to me twice in the last four years in two churches that I've been to where, where I, had, I ran out of children. They sponsored all of them, which was amazing. So one was Arana, and the other was up uh, um, at a Baptist church. I'm in Townsville just a couple of weeks back. So um, let's see what happens today. So thank you for those of you who are sponsoring. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, let me enlighten you. So Compassion's an organization that um, started back in the 50s, uh, and uh, through uh, an American guy uh, doing some evangelism work in South Korea during the Korean, or sort of tail end of the Korean War, um, he, he um, had his coat stolen. So he was walking down the, down the road, coat over his arm like this, walking down the street. He was going to be leaving to go back home in a couple of days' time. And as he was walking, a, child, a little child ran past him and, and whipped the coat from under his arm and just took off down the street. Now, I don't know what, um, if you'd have been in uh, his situation, what you would have done. I think I would have done what he did, and that was to take off in pursuit. Um, child got a head start, so he's kind of trying to catch up. Um, child ducks around a corner, and um, he goes around the corner, and then he just, where's this child gone? There's an empty street. So he, he walks down a bit further, looking in doorways, and there in a shop doorway, he spots his coat just dumped there on the on the ground. He's like, ah, there it is. And so he goes and he picks it up. And underneath is a very small, malnourished child. Wasn't what he was expecting. He saw in the corner another pile of rags. He moved those. There was another child. And um, he left his coat in the doorway and um, walked off down the street, not knowing that um, God was going to do something quite amazing through him. So as a result of that, he got on the plane to go home and just this picture of this child and, and what had happened was in his mind. And he said there was a phrase that he just could not shake from the moment he saw that child under the coat. And the phrase was this, 
What are you going to do? And it just went on and on. He said he got on the plane to go from South Korea back to the US. And he said the, en the engines said that phrase. You know, like, what are you going to do? 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 All the way back to the US. So when he got there, he was kind of sunk, really. He um, had to do something. So he came up with this idea of sponsorship. He said, I wonder if we could get a, a person in, in a nation like, like Australia or, or the US to sponsor a child in a nation like South Korea. So then in real strife, a lot of poverty. And, and if we could make kind of a link point I wonder what could happen. And they started off 15 children, and 35 children got sponsored in South Korea. That was in the 50s. And, and now South Korea is a sponsoring nation. So they sponsor. How cool is that? That's our, our aim, that, that, that nations where we're currently sponsoring in would turn around. We're just about, we're close to having our second country do that, which is really exciting. And so to date now, just over 2 million children in 25 countries being sponsored because one, because God said to one man, what are you going to do? I think, I don't know, I get excited. 2 million children being sponsored around the world. I think that's pretty exciting. Um, I know it's hard to show excitement with a mask on, isn't it? Um, but um, the president of Compassion um, International was sharing with us just before COVID. And he said um, this, if, if Compassion continues to grow at the same rate we've been growing since the 50s. Two million children, that's pretty good, isn't it? Do you know how long it would take to get all the children in extreme poverty sponsored? I thought, no, I have no idea. So since the 50s, we got to two million, what would it take? And he said, 10,000 years. I said, I can't be right. And that's not okay. Now, I know it's not up to compassion to reach all the kids around the world. There are other agencies doing that. So something that we're doing at the moment with our, our um, current CEO, Claire Steele, she is saying, well, we, we have got to find other ways. One, to help more children, but who can we partner with to, to help boost this? Because 10,000 years is not okay to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name, which is what we are about. If you could go to the, the next slide, our, our, um, we call it the three C's that we're really about. We're child-focused, church-based, and Christ-centered. And that was something I, I loved being a pastor about, compassion. It's all about Jesus, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. We've had marketing people come to us and say, do you know if you took Jesus, that, the name Jesus out of your mission statement, you'd be able to get a lot more businesses and um, people involved to help more children. And we just say, it's not going to happen. Because I, I don't know about you, but I think the best way to see kids released from poverty is to introduce them to Jesus. So he's staying. All right? That's, um, that was one thing I loved about compassion. And the other thing I love is that it's, it's church-based. So if you go and visit, which I hope some of you will be able to do that one day, visit the child you sponsor, sit in their home with their family, meet them, and get totally messed up. Because I think we need messing up. To be able to see that and see all of that is done not by compassion, but by the local church. So when you sponsor a child, you empower the local church to reach the poorest of the poor in their neighborhood. And you don't see a big sign saying compassion project. You just see a sign saying like, can more church of Christ? And it's empowering people to do that. And so the church becomes a hub in the community. It becomes a place where, why do you do that? Oh, let me tell you. Um, was talking to a lady recently. She's now living in Australia. She's married an Aussie. She's from the Philippines. Used to do some translation work in the Philippines with compassion at her local church. And she was telling me the story of the fact that the church grew so much because the children filled the church. That happened to one of the... I used to be pastor at Arana Health Church of Christ. The church we first started sponsoring kids at... They had seven children when they started 14 years ago. And within four years, they had 150 kids, and their church held 150 people. They've now built a church bigger than Arana because of what's happened. So it's, it's phenomenal. They're not just helping someone out of poverty, but introducing them to Jesus and what happens in the local church. So I love that too. Why do we focus on children? Why are we child-focused? And if you, can, if you can help a child start life well, you know, with nourishing food, clean water, medical attention, 
where needed. If you can help them get a good education, you give them choice. They wouldn't have if you didn't do that. But if, when they become an adult, they've not had much education or they've got health issues because they weren't helped early enough on, then you, it's really hard to go backtrack from there. But if you can start with the child and give them the best choice possible, you can make a difference. Um, children sponsored by compassion are 70% more likely to become leaders in their community. 70%. Amazing. COVID has really put a spanner in the works of world poverty. World Bank figures, the estimations are between 55 to 140 million more families will go into extreme poverty as a result of COVID. That's not okay. That is not okay. Just to give it in perspective, since the 90s, extreme poverty has been declining by about 1% per year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's... It's been declining, not rising, which is a good thing, until last year. So extreme poverty has gone up by 7% through COVID-19. So that number has now gone backwards, not just by a year, but by seven years backwards. So extreme poverty, that's less than $1.90 per day. And we think that's... I'm going to read you these figures because I don't remember them all. Um, A tenth of the world's population lives on less than $1.90 a day. A tenth of the world's population is in extreme poverty. Close to a quarter of the world's population lives below $3.20 per day, which is seen as a kind of middle-low middle low income level. So below that is poverty in those nations. And then in, in the richer nations um, is... Um, $5.50. And there's more than 40% of the world's population are living on less than $5.50 a day. 40%. I don't know about you, we kind of think that we're, you know, in the kind of nation like Australia, the UK, US, those kind of nations, we think we feel like we're the majority, but we're the minority. And I hate the term where we talk about developing countries. I think, really? We think we're developed? And so I like to say, we're a minority country. Poverty is about a majority country. And we need to understand that. You know, if you're a student in, the, in Australia, you're in the te top 10% of the wealthiest people on the planet. 10%, if you're a student. So we need to understand some of these figures and understand what's going on around the world and, and look with a different perspective. And I don't know about you, but... It's horrible wearing a mask, isn't it? It's so nice to be able to preach, actually. Just get rid of that thing. Think about healthcare workers wearing them eight, 12 hour shifts all the time. Perspective. In the UK, most of my family are back in the UK. They then now, as of two weeks ago, can meet six people together in their backyard. That's the first time for 12 months that they've been able to do that. That's how long the lockdown's been. And we have a three-day lockdown. We've got to wear a mask for two weeks. Ah, oh, perspective. <laughs> so easy, isn't it, to think the hardship for us, but have our eyes opened. So if you've, been, um, if you've been sponsoring, I hope you've been writing letters. If you haven't, now's the time to feel guilty, which is the idea. I'm going to talk a little bit more about letter writing in a moment, but I want to um, show you a video clip in just a moment. But just to introduce this, this is... And the partnership that you have with Compassion means that the majority of you will sponsor kids from the same location around a place called Salatiga in um, Indonesia. And so that means that one day, post-COVID, we can travel again and you can go and visit your sponsor child, which will make a huge difference in your life on how you live and your perspective on things, which I think we all need. Um, don't have to go, but there's an opportunity to do so. So um, all the children available for sponsoring today after the service are from that cluster in Indonesia. And if you're watching online, there'll be a link available for you. Be on the, the um, Facebook page. You can click on the link and you can sponsor there if you're not here in person. So some people have been asking me, what, what's happening sponsorship-wise during COVID? Because most of our programs have had to, to stop because the kids can't meet together and you understand why. 
So instead, what's been happening is um, staff from the church have been going to go and visit kids in their homes, making sure they've got food, taking masks, um, hand sanitizer, giving them, um, kind of briefing them about sanitation. How do you clean your hands? How do you try and keep, how do you social distance if you're living in a slum or in a um, difficult area? And so that's what's been happening. So your sponsorship money hasn't been running the, the program side of things. It's been more um, enabling every family to make sure they've got food, water, because so many people have lost their jobs. And um, for a lot of the, the kids where you sponsor, it's day-to-day -day living. So if that child, if that, the, the father or the mum can't work that day, they don't eat that day. That's, that's how it works. So that's what's been happening. So if you look to the screens, this is um, a video from Indonesia just saying a little bit about what's happening currently through COVID. Hi all the sponsor. Uh, apa kabar? Shalom. Uh, greetings from Indonesia. We partner with a 735 church partner in all Indonesia, start from Sumatra to Papua. The impact caused by the pandemic. First one is about the physical health. The second part is related to the access to education. Today we are facing very a difficult situation. Life is seems very hard for for the children and the family. The parents lost their job, so many families they're facing hunger. We ensure that every children in the family they're safe now. All the project staff visit every family. They pray together and they bring uh, basic needs for the family. They were in tears because they realized that the church, the compassion, is the first one who comes to help them. As you know, for the children and the youth of the poor, education is one of the major interventions for them to be out of the poverty in the mid and the long term of their lives. We have an entrepreneurship uh, tutorial. Our two youth, especially, they make a chandelier from bamboo and they say, when it complete finished, I will sell this one and I will use that money to buy uh, basic food for other families, for those who are in need. So even though this seems very small, but for me, our project children, they not thinking of themselves in this situation, but they start to think of others. That's the, the story that really really touched me. Thank you for your sponsors and donors wherever you are, for your faithful investment, contribution to the life of the children and youth that God loves so much, the poor children of the family. You provide the security of the kingdom of God through the churches in their lives. I pray that again God may protect you and may keep you and may God bless all of you. Thank you so much. Terima kasih banyak. Gives you a bit of an idea about what's happening. And I just love that story of, you know, there's children making these chandeliers to sell so they can give money to help other people. And they're in poverty and they're doing that. And sometimes you see the biggest generosity from people who have the least. Um, so um, after the service, there's an opportunity the table at the back there. Would um, love to, if you've, you've got questions about compassion, please come over there and have a, have a conversation. If you are able to sponsor um, a child today or another child, maybe some people just think, well, I've sponsored one. Maybe you're in a position to say, well, I can do something about that. There's a, a family I visit, they sponsor 36 children. And write to all of them. Amazing. Oh, well, maybe we could do that. There's another lady who hates writing letters. And um, she uh, has been giving to compassion in a different way. But last time I met with her, she said, I just, I just love what sponsorship is. So I said, well, look, how about, how about I write your letters for you? So um, she said, that'd be good. So she sponsored a child, and I write for her. Actually, I write to five children now because she likes this idea so much. So I'm now writing a lot of letters, which is great. I'm quite happy doing that, but um, her heart is so big for 
children in poverty. It's great to be able to partner with people. But the letters are really important. If, um, if you could go to the next slide, yeah, this one. This is um, a young lady called Lee May. I met her in the Philippines about um, 18 months ago. Oh, excuse me a second. Well, I've never done that before. <laughs> um, uh, I met Lee May about um, 18 months ago, and I was... So I took another Church of Christ with King Arroy Church of Christ. We took them to visit their sponsor kids in the Philippines. And um, lunchtime, we were sitting down, and I ended up sitting next to this young lady called Lee May. She's um, 18 years old, I discovered, was just about to graduate from the program. Been sponsored since she was really, since she was really little. She was actually still really little, but anyway, so she was very young. And um, we just got, got chatting about you know, what it meant to her and, and what she wanted to do for the future. And she couldn't quite decide whether to... Um, go to college, or you know, her parents are saying, look, you know, if you get a job, you can help us then to buy some more for your family. So she was really torn. Do I continue education or do I try and get a job? And we talked a bit about that, and then I said to her, oh, tell me about your sponsor. Because she said to me that they were from Australia. I said, tell me, tell me about your sponsor. And she just looked down at her lunch. And I thought, what have I said? I've, I've upset her. Have I, have I you know crossed a, a cultural taboo or something, what have, what have I done? And so I said, I'm sorry if I've offended you. And she said, no, it's okay. She said, um, I just don't know anything about my sponsor. So I said, what do, you, what do you mean? How is that? She said, well, I, I only know their name and they're from Australia because I've never had a letter. So I wonder if you were in my shoes, what you would have done after the initial, what do I say, you know? How do I answer this young lady downcast, she went on to say that when her friends get letters and she doesn't, she goes home and cries. Because she said, she said I, I just don't know if my sponsors love me. 18 years old. It's the impact a letter can have. So it was a bit like, I talked about you know, the what are you going to do phrase. Um, in my mind, it wasn't what are you going to do, it was just write a letter, write her a letter, write her a letter, write her a letter. Well, I was getting the message after that went round and round several times. So I, after a little while, we talked a bit about sponsorship and I, I said actually a lot of people in the West they think that money is the answer to poverty they don't realize how, how important relationship is because relationship is our poverty we have a lot of lonely people that's why the suicide rate is so high why we have so many people, people on antidepressants because we don't know real deep relationship real community it's, it's, lo it's lost in our society but not in many of the majority countries. But in the minority countries, yes. So after talking a bit more, um, I, I went to the van, I found a piece of paper. It wasn't compassion paper, it was just a piece that I had, and I wrote Lee May a letter. It took me about two minutes. And I went and found her, and I didn't have an envelope, so I just folded it in half, and I, I said, Lee May, I know you haven't had a letter from your sponsor, but here's a letter from an Aussie he loves you. And I gave her the letter. And her eyes got wet and bloke code here. I got sweaty eyes too. And um, I excused myself from that and I, I left her to read the letter. She sat down on the corner of the platform and that's the last time I saw her just looking at this letter with wet eyes. And I'm thinking, wow, the impact of a letter. But that wasn't the end of the story because about two weeks later, Andy, the pastor from Kingaroy, he emailed me and said, Simon, I've got an apology to make to you. He said, Dad, while we were there um, over in the Philippines, a student gave something for me to give to you, and I forgot all about it, and I've just found it in the bottom of my bag. And it was a letter from Lee May. She'd written a reply. Couldn't find me, so found Andy. We were only there about another hour. She'd written a letter, given it to him, and the letter you see on the screen is that letter. I keep it on my desk at work just to remind me of the power and the importance of writing a letter. It doesn't take long. And if you're struggling to write letters, it's because you're overthinking them. They just want to know you. They want to know what you're like. Here's an example of a, how to do a letter. I was down um, south, south side, northern Gold, northern Gold Coast, visiting some pastors, and I had a, a break over lunch, and I was driving past Yatla. So what do you think I would do? 
go and get a pie. That's what you do there, isn't it? So I went and got my steak, bacon, and cheese pie, because they are the best ones. And, um, and, and I had my pie, and I checked my phone, and I saw a letter just come in from one of the kids I sponsor. He's in Thailand, and his name is Mix. And the thought crossed my mind, I, sh I should have taken a photo of my pie. Just, here's a classic Aussie lunch. Very different. They don't really do pies in Thailand. Their food's way nicer. And um, so um, I was just thinking, oh, I should have done that. And this guy sat down next to me with a nice pristine pie on my dirty plate. So I just nudged him. I said, excuse me, mate, can I take a photo of your pie? <laughs> he looked at me like you're laughing at me. Um, but then I explained why, and he said, sure, go for it. So I took a photo of the pie, and two minutes, sent a letter to Mix, dear Mix, just got your letter today, so excited to read about how, how school is going so well for you. Glad you're, you're, you're working hard at school. I'm praying for you, um, and um, would love to meet you again. I've visited him th um, three times now. And um, I said, I, I, I put a photo of a, a traditional Aussie lunch, and it's called a pie. And um, it's steak and, steak and, that's a new word, <laughs> bacon, steak and cheese pie. And, um, hey, Mix, what's your favorite lunch? Praying for you. Look forward to getting your next letter. Simon, how, long does, how hard is that? But if, if you're trying to overthink it and write a big essay, please don't do that. Write little and often, just like that. Dinner time or lunch time is a great time to, to write. You can write on your phone. You can attach photos. You can write by hand. You can write on your computer. We're trying to make it as easy as possible. So if you want some more ideas, go to our website. But please, please write. If you, if you haven't written for a while, I really hope you're feeling guilty. And um, please write. Even if you write on your phone while I'm speaking, that's how important a letter is. It makes a huge difference to the kids. So what does sponsorship cost? It will cost you some letter writing, and it will cost you three coffees a week. That's how much it costs to sponsor a child, three coffees a week, $12 a week, $48 a month. Um, and some people say, can I afford to do that? Can you afford not to do that? When we look at the, you know, what's happening with those figures. So um, it might be today, you can say, yeah, I could sponsor a child. Or you might say, actually, we could sponsor another child. So Pastor Danny Nipswich, he has five kids. He sponsors a child for each of his children. I know he's not on a big salary, but that's his heart for mission. And that was another church where we nearly ran out of children. I think I had one left. Because he stood up and said, I sponsor five children. Oh, if you can, maybe we could stretch to two. Maybe we could stretch to three. Let's see what God does among us. Let me pray, and then I'll try and decide what to preach on. Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks. Thank you that you have a bias to the poor. Thank you that your love is so deep. Your heart is so big. What you make available to us so much. So Father, as we come to look at your word, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? Would you mold us? Would you shape us? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's... Um, I'm going to do a bit of both. So I don't like doing that because I'll usually like speaking on one thing, but we're going to do a little bit of both. So a story that will be very familiar to many of you is, um, and we call it Jesus calming the storm. And I don't know about you, I grew up in church and I've acted that story. I've colored it in, I've written it, I've read it. I've done pretty much everything you can think of to do with that story. It's so familiar. It's such an amazing story. You know, Jesus standing up saying, peace, be still, and then... The water you know, just calms down and the wind stops and there's this awe and amazement as um, the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But I want to ask the question, what's the greater miracle? Jesus calming the storm or Jesus sleeping in the storm? Just think about that for a moment. Tiny boat, big waves... It's not like a cruise liner. This is just like an extended rowing boat. Let me put it like that with a sail. And small boat. Jesus is in the back of the boat, 
head on a cushion, sleeping. The disciples, the waves are swamping the boat. Wet cushion. I don't know about you, but if, if, you, if you dozed off during this message and I threw water over you, you'd probably wake up. But Jesus was sleeping. So much peace. He could sleep in a storm. When everyone was petrified, they were going to drown. And we concentrate on this amazing miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And we gloss over the fact that he was sleeping in the midst of a storm. And I go again, so many people with anxiety issues in our nation. It's a huge, huge problem. It's a pandemic. We haven't learned how to sleep in a storm. We haven't learned that level of peace. And I look at it like this. The disciples were, were doing fine. A lot of them were fishermen. They were doing okay. Until they got to the point they let the storm into the inside of their lives. The storm was raging on the outside, but they let it on the inside. At that point, they start to panic, they start to worry, they start to think that the ship's going to sink, they're going to drown, and all of that is going on. Jesus walked in so much peace on the inside, the outside didn't perturb him. In fact, there's so much peace on the inside of him, when he stood up and, and let the peace out, the peace calmed the storm other way around to the disciples. Is that making sense? And I think for some of you here this morning, you've lost touch with God's peace. And maybe because where Pat was talking about refresh, maybe, I don't know what the content of that is, but just maybe there's something in there. There's three core things that come up a lot in the New Testament. Love, joy, and peace. And if you think about them, and you think about the terms the Bible puts with them, it's, um, it's, it's kind of disconcerting and confusing. I prayed about one of them earlier, love. Paul prays that the Ephesians may know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of this love that is beyond knowing. Okay, thanks Paul, that's really helpful. How do I know a love that you can't know? How do I know a love that's beyond knowing? And then later on he talks about Peace, and he talks about the peace that passes understanding. Can't understand it. Thanks, that's really helpful too. And then Peter talks about a joy that's inexpressible. He's thinking, okay, love, joy, peace that you cannot express, cannot know, and it's beyond. Because that's the level of a love, joy, and peace. It's bigger than anything we can comprehend. So how's your peace level? And if it's not very good, then maybe you're tapping into the wrong kind of peace. You're just looking at the world-type peace, not the peace that Jesus offers. Peace on the inside, where you can sleep in a storm. That's the introduction to the second message. So in Acts 28, if you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to be on the screen. Um, so Acts chapter 28, it's almost like a sister story, because it's another storm. And um, let me read Acts 28, verse 28. Once safely, a oh, bit of backstory, um, Paul is on his way to Rome. Um, they've been at sea for two weeks. They haven't seen the sun, moon, or the stars in most of that time. Um, Paul says, we had given up all hope of being saved. And you kind of think, well, Paul, why don't you just stand up and say, peace be still, because Jesus did. That didn't happen. They, uh, an angel came and strengthened him, and brought some peace, if you like, but said, actually, the boat is going to be broken up, and, um, but everyone is going to be okay. Everyone's going to get to land in okay. And I don't know if I was Paul, I would think, well, can't we get the boat to land? You know, has that, why, why the shipwreck as well? But anyway, that is what happens. So they've just got to shore on bits of wood. Yeah, the, the Jewish people weren't great seafarers. So they've got there, but they're soaking wet, and they've been at sea for two weeks, probably not, uh, haven't eaten much, and um, what food they did have, they've probably thrown up over the side, I suspect, in the storm. So once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They're the two words. Unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. 
Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Talk about being kicked when you're down. Shipwreck, now a snake bite. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in so many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. Unusual kindness. That passage is packed full of kindness, of people coming out to help shipwrecked people, helping them build a fire, helping them um, carry wood. Then the chief official of the island taking them into his home for three days and um, giving them food and, and generous hospitality. It says, not just hospitality, generous hospitality. And then when it came time to go, they gave um, all the supplies they needed for the ongoing journey. But you noticed the Maltese aren't Christians. And I find that interesting, because I'm finding this a lot. People have, it's just come up in conversations again and again, um, just as I meet people, where someone will say, oh, I've got this, this guy at work. He's just, um, he's just such a top bloke. So kind, so helpful, so thoughtful. And he's not even a Christian. And then the flip side I also hear is, oh, we've got this, we've got this um, guy at work. You know, he's, he says he's a Christian, but everybody hates him. And he just, oh, he just rubs people up the wrong way. And shouldn't be, should it? What did it do with that imbalance where kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit? Not, not a fruit, but a segment of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Spoken about that already. Patience, kindness, goodness. Self-control. How's your fruit in your life? Does it match up to the God you serve? And I was struck in this passage, I don't know what was going on in Paul's mind, but you've got this giving and taking of generous hospitality of Paul praying for people. He probably didn't feel great after being at sea for so long, but he's, he's there you know, helping make a fire. He's there healing the sick, praying for people. Probably quite a lot of people were coming, I would guess. Tradition has it that Publius became the first bishop of Malta. And that his house, on the site of his house, you can go to the next slide, was built this cathedral. It's called St. John's Cathedral. Tradition has it, it's on the site of the governor's house. And for 30-something years, um, Publius became the Bishop of Malta before he was martyred in Greece, 30 years on. Paul's visit had a um, big impact on the islanders. And I think they had a head start. They were already kind. When I think about um, unusual kindness, my mind goes to a Disney movie. You can see if you can go there in a moment. I'll come to that in a second. I was talking with a, a guy way up north, Queensland, and um, I used to ride a motorcycle, and um, he, he's a bike rider, and he told me this story. I found it fascinating. He said I was, he's an elder in the local church, and he said I was, um, I'd park my bike in the, the shopping, or shopping center, tiny little place in the Outside IGA, that's the shop. And um, he, uh, he said, I, 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 after church, I went in to get some, just get some food, and I came out, and there's this guy standing there looking at my bike. Obviously a biker, because of how he was dressed. You can picture that yourself. 
And he found out, um, they got chatting, they got talking about bikes, comparing notes and all that kind of thing. And this guy said, hey, um, I go riding with a group of mates. Um, would you like to come with us sometime? And this friend of mine looked at him and thought, mm, do I do it? And he said, actually, yeah, no, that would be good. Within two days, he had a text saying, um, we're going next Sunday, 10 o'clock. Would you like to come? Text it back. I can do any time over the weekend, but just um, I'm involved in a local church and um, I can't do 10 o'clock, but it would be done by 12. But um, look, enjoy the ride. Thanks for thinking of me. Text comes back next day. Uh, we've moved the ride to 12.30 for you. Would that work? So he goes on this ride. They stop for coffee, kind of halfway around the trip they were doing, and, um, and just got chatting a bit, and this friend of mine, this guy's called Smokey. So um, he was asking a bit about my friend's life, and um, didn't think too much of it. Three, four days later, there's a phone call to this friend of mine from Smokey. He said, um, just wondering, um, how's, you know, you said your mum wasn't well, How, how's she doing? Oh, actually, yeah, no, she's better, better than the weekend, so thanks for asking. And, and you also said that you, you knew Monday you were having a, a really big day at work. How'd it, how'd it go? And, oh, good. Oh, I'm glad you're going well. I've just been thinking about you. Phone down. This friend of mine said, I've never had such pastoral concern from any church I've ever been in before. I got more from Smokey. And I, I feel excited and sad about that story. Smoke is now doing Alpha, by the way, that, which is also really exciting. The Disney movie I spoke about is um, Cinderella, the, the 2015 version, if you've not seen it. And um, there's, a, there's a point, it's, a, it's kind of an acted one rather than a cartoon one, and it's, there's a point there where, where Ella finds out that her mum is dying. And she goes to her mum, and I was going to play the clip, but I, but I won't, because some of you will be crying, and then I'll have to deal with that. So, so I'll just tell you about it, all right? So um, there's this point where, where the, yeah, there is tears happening, and it's very emotional. But Ella's mum says to her two things I want you to remember, Ella. Have courage and be kind. Have courage and be kind. And we don't usually put those two things together. You know, we go to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. You know, kind of, it's all the tough stuff. And yeah, when you do that. But, but you know, it takes courage to be kind. It takes courage to ask someone how they're going. It takes courage to dig a little deeper. It takes courage to show kindness to someone when you don't know what you're going to get back. You know, we all be kind to people who love us. But kindness to people we don't know, kindness to other people, that takes courage. And I think in the blokey world particularly, you know, kindness is not seen as a very blokey thing. But it should be. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. How's your kindness doing? Ella is kind of thinking about these words, and, and her mum says this, unpacks it further, and she says this. Ella, you have more kindness in your little finger than most people possess in their entire bodies. That should be a description of a Christian. More kindness in our little finger than people possess in our bodies. And yet, I seem to find so often, sadly, it's the other way around. Just leave that, that slide up for the moment. I'll just kind of wrap this up. There's a, there's a Hebrew word that I can't say the Hebrew very well because it has that in it, you know, but it's some, um, the, the, the English version of it is called hesed, or chesed. Oh, I nearly did it then. And it's one of those words that's not translatable by one word into English. You have to kind of put it into sentences. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find it comes up a lot. And it's translated things like um, steadfast love, or loving kindness. And those kind of words, yeah, loving faithfulness and come as another way that it's translated. So it means all of those things, and you have to kind of work a bit out from the context as to which one it is. But what I like about it is I'm just going to read this, this quote about Hesed. It says, Hesed describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires, inspires merciful and compassionate behavior towards another person. So that word, loving kindness, doesn't just mean love, it means the action of love 
through a person that impacts another person. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Always an action. We can talk about being kind. It's got to have an action. We talk about peace. How does it show itself? And um, giving you two things this morning, which I don't normally like doing. I usually now like just to preach on one thing, loving kindness. Unusual kindness. Just remember that from this morning. Unusual kindness. We have so much information. You know, some of you, you, you can quote this book. And that's a good thing, by the way. Read this book. It's a great book. But how much of it are you living? Do you know, you can be the best, the best theologian and expounding this book, but if you can't show kindness to your neighbor, what is the point of reading? If you can't show love to your neighbor... Jesus sums the whole thing up. He says, love God, love your neighbor. And if we're not loving our neighbor, if our neighbors don't know how much we love them, there's something wrong. If our workmates don't know how much we care for them and are concerned about their lives and their family and how they're doing, there's something wrong. And that's why I love to put action in. So I want to say this morning, decide before you go out the door, how is your life going to change because of this message? How can you show unusual kindness? Sometimes it doesn't take much. It was in Woolies or Coles. I can't remember the shop. And um, I was there with my wife, and we were just um, putting, our, you know, putting our shopping through. They, they were kind of scanning stuff through. And, and they just, the person looked sad. I thought I could describe it. Their face was downcast. And, and I just said, I said, how's your day? And it was a young lad. He said, he said, actually, the last four customers have been um, just really rotten in their language to me. Um, so I'm not having a very good day. And I said, well, that's not going to happen with this one. <laughs> and I said, I'm really sorry that you've had to deal with that. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for working here. And I hope your day gets better. A smile came on his face. How hard is that? How hard is that? It was in a servo. I was coming back from northern Queensland. And... You know, I used to work at a servo when you used to have to serve people a long time ago. Some of you remember those days. But now, I know you don't have to serve them the fuel, but you have to be a barista. You have to serve the pies. You have to stock the shop. You have to do all of that and, and the fuel. You know? So it's working hard. And I stopped at this servo on my way down, and the guy was flustered. He was trying to do a coffee and do a pie and, and something in a toaster, and then there was a queue of about six people at the, at the checkout. And, and I'd gone through, and I was just walking to the door, and I heard um, a lady say to the guy, oh, can you excuse me, I can't, I can't get my petrol flap open. So she'd gone to the front of the queue and just said, oh, excuse me. And I turned around, and this guy's face just said it all. Like, <laughs> and I just said, um, I, I, can, I can do that. Would, that. would that be a help? And he's like, thank you. Thank you so much. I used to be a mechanic, so it was a minute we were done. Or, and how hard is that just to have your eyes open? See what else is going on around you and show some kindness, show some love, make a difference. And if you can't think of anything, how that might change in your world, what you could do today is sponsor a child. Show some kindness. The kids that I've got today, this, this, um, this young man, his name is Rayhan. He's been waiting over a year for a sponsor. There's no dad in the house, lives with his mum, one other sibling. And he loves soccer and swimming. And it just made me think, ah, I could be a mum for Ray, Rayhan. I could write him a letter. I could encourage him. Hey, I like, I like watching the soccer too, you know. I don't know, there's, there's a lot of children there. If they've got a banner like this in red, that's how many days they've been waiting for a sponsor. And on the back, it tells you a bit about them. So there's a challenge for you. Um, if um, the band would like to come up, I, um, we're going to have a go at something that's not prepared. <laughs> and um, we're uh, going to sing a song, a cappella. And um, it's an odd song to sing this time of year, but it's Silent Night. And the reason for that is there's a, a story behind the carol 
is simply this, that it was written when a young man in his 20s was um, really feeling a lack of peace. And he, um, he went for a walk in Austria, where he was from. Sorry, um, is that right? No, Switzerland, where he was from. And um, he just looked back at the snow-clad village and all his woes and troubles seemed to kind of just stop for a bit. And he wrote a poem, what we know as Silent Night. He wrote the whole poem out as he looked on this peaceful setting of this village. Two years later, when he was uh, in another difficult time, um, it was just before Christmas, and their organ had broken, and they were ready, ready to do this carol service. Lots of people would come from all over to this carol service, and they had no organ, and, and he was stressed and he was feeling a lack of peace and he went for a walk and when he walked he remembered a walk two years previously when he'd written a poem so he rushed home and he went through all his journals and he found the poem and he went round to his friend's house who was a maths teacher in the village also in his 20s who happened to be the organist and he said um, i've got these words i know we haven't got the organ but do you think you can put some music to this by guitar and i need it tomorrow Speak. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 